Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Well, I know that. I don't need to look to it. Uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God prepared beforehand. We should walk in them. And we saw uh, last week how God has planned before we were born a course for our life to take, an eternal destination, heaven, and then eternal destiny, things that we will be occupied with throughout eternity. And so before we came into this world, God prepared that, but it's our choice to respond to that. And so it says he has prepared works for us to accomplish. So there's no person here that God has not called you, firstly, into relationship and intimacy, and out of that to accomplish things that advance his kingdom in the earth. And so we're all called to do that, and that's the course that we run. And we want to get to the end of our course like Paul, who said, I have finished my course, I fought the good fight, I finished my course, henceforth is laid up for me a crown. So right now, you and I are on a course. I want to run my course as passionately and as strongly as I can, and I want to finish it as strongly as I can. And so there's no place for half-heartedness in that. And we saw some decisions we make that actually, as a consequence of these decisions, our whole future is affected. Everyone makes them. And we're not all called to be preachers of the gospel, but we're all called to be ambassadors for Christ. And so we have the power to make any choice we like, but we have no power over the consequences of the choice. Once you've chosen, then the certain things follow. And so when we choose to make decisions that are good and godly and flow with His will there are tremendous blessings and benefits begin to outwork in our life. Often they're not seen until you've walked with the Lord some years. Sometimes we make lots of little decisions and they're costly little decisions and doesn't seem like it's any benefit. But over the course of your life, gradually you see God working. And gradually you see uh, tremendous things begin to unfold behind you and you see the fruit of those decisions. Okay then, so we talked about two of those decisions and the first one was I needed to make the decision to let go the past, to say no to bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. I've got to choose. We make a choice whether we'll harbor things from the past, broken relationships, hurts and woundings, or whether we will position ourselves to deal with it. We have courses in the church to deal with these things. By far the most common issue that holds people back is they remain hurt, unforgiving, resentful, and locked back to their past and believing negative things that then begin to affect the future. If you want to fulfill your potential, you've got to unlock from things that hurt you and set you back. And we do that by the process of acknowledging them, grieving over them, and then forgiving them. Sometimes we've got to repent and release uh, people from things. The second thing we saw was we need to, second destiny decision, take personal responsibility. We must say no to the blame game, blaming someone else. We must say no to victim thinking. See, all of these things are very, very important, that we make those decisions. And if we remain a victim, saying, well, look how badly I was treated, and, and I, you know, this happened to me and that happened to me, and then we're waiting for someone to come through for us, and at the same time blaming someone else for why we are where we are. The moment you get into the blame game and don't take responsibility, you have no power. You have power and authority over everything you assume responsibility for. So if God has given you certain things and you don't take responsibility for them, then you will find they will come out of control and be embarrassment for you. We've got a financial course coming up shortly. Now, if you're in debt, I encourage you to go to the course because you're in bondage. The Bible says the person in debt is in bondage. 
The borrower is the servant of the lender. So if you've borrowed off ungodly people, you're in bondage to them. And it affects your future. I've talked with people in the church and they've, they run everything up on tick and they put all, they, they, they in, I say, what you do is you're selling your future. You, you're putting yourself in such bondage, you can't fulfill what God calls you to do. If God says, I want you to do this, you're just not positioned to do it. So when you get into debt, you don't realize you're mortgaging your future. And there's certain places we can get into debt, but go to the course. Get dominion over your finances. Interesting thing, when I talked with Andrew about the whole issue of Uganda, we realized an interesting thing. For many people in the church, if we gave them $100, they wouldn't get out of their debt. In other words, they're below the zero. They're below zero. With the Ugandans, if we give them $100, they come up above zero and they start to be productive. I thought, whoa. Man, I looked on them as being poor, and I realized, actually, debt and this whole thing of credit has really crippled the church far more than we realize. We want to do things that will help you, and this course is one way to help you in that. So take personal responsibility. Say no to being a victim. Now let's give you the other ones, and I want to get through these today. And each one of them you could develop and think about, but if I just give you them, you'll realize, and they just, like most things with God, anything that God's in is actually common sense. You thought, oh, I knew that. It doesn't mean to say you're doing it, but you knew it. Okay, so let me give you some of the other destiny decisions. These are important decisions. Here's one of them, and here's one of them which is very important. Pursue excellence. Pursue excellence. In other words, say no to mediocrity and half-heartedness. No to mediocrity and half-heartedness. Let me give you a verse in Colossians 3, verse 23. Colossians 3, verse 23. Let's have a look at that. Excellence doesn't mean that I'm the best around. Excellence means I'm committed to do the best I can and to continually work to improve. So I never settle down for half-heartedness. See, sometimes we use the word excellence. Oh, that's beyond me. That's for other people. No, no, no. Excellence is when you do your very best. When you use whatever resources and ability you've got, you do the very best you can. That's excellence. And then when you continue to work to improve, then this is excellence. That's the commitment to excellence. Otherwise, we look and we say, I could never be like that. See? So, uh, so in Colossians 3.23, notice what it tells us here. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it from the heart or with excellence. Do it wholeheartedly as if you were doing it to the Lord and not unto men. And here's the reason why we do that. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of inheritance. So this has got destiny implications in it. I need to approach my life that I will never devalue myself by ever doing something half-heartedly. I'll never be involved in something mediocre. If it's mediocre, change it, make it excellent. But don't give your life to something that's half-hearted. It will diminish your value. We, might, we just make a decision inside. If we're going to do something, do it really well. One of the things I was delighted to see that in Uganda, the, the, the property that John has got, where they've got the, a house rented and they've got their offices in, is the sharpest looking one in the whole city. They just keep it clean and they look after it. Everyone else just lets things run down. And so uh, excellence, mediocre means literally barely adequate. Barely adequate, moderate to inferior in inequality. So think about the jobs you do, young people. Your room. Moderate, mediocre, half-hearted, 
poor quality. That's not excellence. The funny thing about excellence is when you're committed to excellence in your life and you just do whatever you do well, what happens is it creates a draw of good things into your life. When you do things half-heartedly, people are repelled from you. No one likes half-heartedness. No one likes a tradesman who's half-hearted. No one likes a job that was done and it was a mediocre job. Just no one likes it. They don't come back. So excellence has a way of attracting and drawing results. Excellence honors God and it seems to attract people. It seems to do something. Excellence means or excel means go beyond a limit or standard to rise high and distinguish yourself. So you could, you could, you could do, do the floors. You could clean the floors with excellence. See, it shows up there. You could clean the toilets with excellence. See, it's not like you've got to have some big quality. It's just what you do, you do it well. I heard someone say one time, how come you haven't got the time to do it well, but you have got the time to do it again? Think about that. Think about that. Just whatever you put your hand to, say, I'm going to do it well. I'll do it so it stands up and salutes and says, yes, sir. And people know that was a good job. See, whatever we do. Now, one of the things that's been a blight in the church and has greatly caused uh, the community to be turned off is mediocrity. Half-hearted, this lukewarm. If you ever look around a lot of church facilities you go to and you find they don't represent an excellent king. They don't represent an excellent God. They look run down, shoddy, and everything inside looks like it's tired and about to give up. That doesn't inspire me at all. I'm not attracted to anything like that. And if you say that God's in that, then I'm not attracted to the God that's in that. See, but when there's excellence, there's something about excellence that inspires us. The Queen of Sheba came to Solomon, and the Bible tells us her breath was taken away because everything was excellent. This says there was no more spirit in her. So it's, excellence honors God. He's an excellent God. So when we do things well, what we're doing is we make a decision to position ourselves for God's very best as well. And there are many examples. Uh, We shared a couple of them before. Uh, Let me give you another one. In Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 4, it says, He who deals with a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So it's a personal choice not to take on the she'll be right attitude. Oh, she'll be right. It's near enough. Now, listen, you've got to say, no, if I'm going to do it, I'll do it well. Now, that comes to your job. It comes to your schoolwork. It comes to your housework. It comes to everything we do. We do it well. That's why one of the things I love about this church, people who come here, they just love the way they're greeted and the hospitality and the way they're met and the way they're looked after. And they just go away inspired. They go away inspired because most places they go, it isn't like that. That we've been working to build excellence into the church in every year. That's why I put money into facility. Keep everything sharp. It doesn't need to be extravagant, but it just needs to be sharp, above the cut, cut above the ordinary. And to do that, it takes effort. You've got to maintain things. You've got to keep them looking sharp. You've got to keep them painted. You've got to keep them maintained. Think about your home. Does your home, and when you look around the grounds, look around, when someone stands outside your home, do they see excellence? Not seeing rich. We're talking excellence. Things are kept tidy and sharp. There's actually what you do, you present yourself well. It's almost certain that in those little things, you will reveal certain aspects of your character. So are you known as someone that's chosen, I'll never do anything half-hearted. Whatever I do is always do it well. That's a pathway to promotion. And and if, if people know that it's a pathway to promotion, how much more does God know it's the way for you to go forward in your destiny? 
I want to share with you a couple of examples from the Bible. I won't look them up, but you do know them quite well. In Revelation 3 and verses 14 to 16. Revelation 3, verse 14 to 16. There's a church in Laodicea, and it was rejected or it lost its destiny. And Jesus himself spoke why it lost its destiny. He said, because of half-heartedness and lukewarmness. Lukewarmness costs you your destiny. That's why if you're a lukewarm Christian, you're, you're, you're probably the most miserable of all people because you haven't got enough world to help you keep happy. You sort of say no to that most of the time. And you haven't got enough of God to actually inspire you and motivate and energize you. So you're in this energyless place. Whereas I know if I give my very best to God and worship, best to God in prayer, I give him the best, I find he gives also his best to me. That's why, you know, for me to get up early and to come to, to be here today, uh, whether I was preaching or not, I still want to be in the presence of God. I can't stand for all the three Sundays and missing what we have here. But it's, like, it's just a mentality you begin to develop. My father-in-law told me, he said, never be involved in anything that's mediocre. And I'm involved in something that's not mediocre. It's called the kingdom of God. It's an excellent kingdom. So notice here, the church in Laodicea, he says, because you're half-hearted, I'll spit you out. So even God doesn't like mediocrity. In Malachi, he says, half-hearted offerings, I'm not interested in those either. See, there's nothing about half-heartedness that draws God to honor our work. But when we do it well, see, when we do it well, when it's done with a full heart and passion, maybe no one sees it, but God who watches sees we're making good destiny decisions. Think about it. How could God trust you to be excellent with his work if you can't be excellent with what you already have? Okay? So let's say no to mediocrity, no to half-heartedness. See, and the same in the worship. Half-hearted, you know one of the things I've noticed about half-hearted worship? God's presence never comes. So if we're cold and down and miserable and we can't be bothered, you know what happens? God can't be bothered either. His presence doesn't come into the church. And so I have to continually work with the musicians, also with the church, that you, when you come, you come, and the moment we get, we get here right on time, we're ready to start right on time. Why? You wouldn't miss a dentist appointment. You wouldn't miss a doctor's appointment. You wouldn't miss an appointment with your banker. You wouldn't miss these appointments. You'd be there on time. But with God, well, she'd be right. And then we wonder why, if we're, she'll be right with God, that we don't actually see and enjoy God's favor in our life. You can't treat him that way. He's a person. And you know yourself, if someone always treats you in a half-hearted way, you're not going to respond. How much more will the living God be the same? And so you see there that half-heartedness, whereas we can see in Daniel 3, verse 17 and 18, and uh, we, uh, sorry, Daniel 6, verses 1 to 4, look what it tells about Daniel. I love this about Daniel. Boy, I love this verse here. It says, Daniel, it says this about Daniel. And it says that uh, we read it through in verse uh, <clears throat> One, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these were three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to him so the king would suffer no loss. And then this Daniel distinguished himself above all the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. They could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. There was no error nor fault. He was excellent. He wasn't mediocre. He didn't say, oh, well, that's an error enough. He was actually attentive to details. He was attentive to details. He made sure things were done and they were done well. And so you notice here, he became promoted. 
And why did this happen? Because he had an excellent spirit in him. What spirit did he have in him? The Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God is an excellent spirit. He inspires us to do things well. This is why when we're dealing with Uganda, we've actually just refused to go forward until they started to do things right and do it well. Then we add more to them. And it's the same for you. If you want to go forward, if you want God's favor in your life, we need to make a decision. What I'm going to do is choose excellence. Here's another one. Choose character. Develop character. Here's another destiny decision. Develop strong character and say no to compromise. Develop strong character. Strong character. In Romans 8 verse 29, the Bible tells us that he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ's son, the firstborn of many brothers. So God's plan and God's destiny is we become Christ-like in character. So when you make a commitment to grow your character and develop your character, you're making a commitment to your destiny. Because I've noticed this. I was sharing this with someone else the other day. I haven't got a whiteboard or anything, but if you could imagine uh, just for a moment three circles like this, one here and there's one. Nice big circle there, another one intersecting it, and then a third one intersecting it. Okay. Now, pretty well all you see in a person's life is the top circle, the gift that they have. Top circle is their gift. The Bible says a gift will make room for you. So if you've got giftings in your life, you musical or creative or quite gifted accountant, then it'll open a door for you. But what keeps you in that place is your character and your spirit or attitude that you carry. So you find a person that you receive and give him a job because you've got great gifting, if he hasn't got a good character to go with it, eventually you want to fire him. If he defiles and, and messes up uh, the relationships because he hasn't got a good spirit and ability to connect and relate to people, then also he'd probably get fired as well. So what, what I've noticed over years now with people, that people make the most of all the gifts and highlight what they're gifted at, but actually it's your character and your spirit that determines whether you can build anything big. And so if we're going to really advance in our life, the things we can give attention to are our character and the spirit that we carry. So we carry an excellent spirit, and we also, we develop our character. So what do we mean develop your character? Well, what about the area of being faithful? That when you give your word, you can be relied on. That's character. What about being honest? There's absolutely no dishonesty in any area of your life. That's your character. What about generosity, where you're abundantly generous and bless the people around you, sow into them and give to them and, and, and assist them and encourage them? These are character areas. What about the area of courage, the ability to be able to stand in the place of compromise and say, no, I'm not going to go with the crowd? So I see, I've seen heaps of gifted people over the while, but the only ones I've seen produce lasting fruit and go forward in God are those who actually address the issue of having an excellent spirit, a right spirit, and also develop their character so they've got a strong, reliable character. Give me character any time. Because at least I know I can rely on them. But if I can get character and gifting and good spirit, you've got someone who can really produce, someone who will go forward in God. Now, you see, character is something you can work on. How often do you give a little word, say you're going to do something, don't do it? These are the kinds of things that are part of our character. So all of those issues we can work on. Now, let me give you a couple of people, one who missed their, their destiny because of their character, the other one who, who got his destiny because of his character. Here's one of them. Uh, 2 Kings 5, verses 20 to 27, was a man by the name of Gehazi. Gehazi. Now, Gehazi had a unique opportunity. Elijah was a man anointed by God, and he chose a disciple, Elisha, 
Elisha received a double portion of what Elijah had. He did twice as many miracles. His servant was Gehazi. His disciple was Gehazi. So Gehazi was positioned to be able to uh, flow in the anointing of the supernatural and to replace Elisha when Elisha died. What an amazing opportunity. And so he was positioned in his life by serving Elisha to eventually have the mantle of Elisha on him and be able to have a an, an unique influence in the nation. But Elisha had a different heart and character to him. So what happened was when the Syrian came along, and uh, Elisha uh, uh, spoke to him directions and the man received a miracle. And Naaman the Syrian wanted to give to Elisha some money. Elisha said, no money, I'm not taking any money. Because if he took money, there'd be a sense where the obligation had gone. By taking no money, he showed a pure heart and attitude and he left the possibility of a strategic relationship open. But you see what happened, Gehazi looks and says, man, the Syrian, well, we should have taken something off him. You know, he got this miracle, he's going to die, you know, he's a leper. Man, this is wrong, I need to do something about this. So he sneaked out and he said, listen, my master's had change of mind, and what he wants is a little bit of gold and a bit of silver and some clothes. Can you help him out? And he said, yeah, fine. He gave him all the clothes, he took them all away, took the silver and the gold. And of course, Elisha saw in the spirit what had happened. And Elisha confronted him, and the result of his sin was he got leprosy, His family got leprosy. His descendants had a curse of leprosy over them, and they missed their destiny completely. Now, this is not written there for nothing. This is written to help us to see that character has a huge impact on the destiny that we have. And I look at the years of ministries I've seen that have fallen. They never felt because they weren't gifted, never felt because they weren't uh, a love for God. They felt because in the area of character, there was compromise somewhere. So think about your own life and ministry. Think about what you do. Build and develop character, faithfulness and small things. Here's someone, Daniel 3, verses 17 to 18. Daniel's three friends, and they're faced with this compromise. The king had put a a huge gold idol up, and he said, everyone has got to bow down and follow the culture. Young people, it's a great message for you if you look into that. Uh, They were forced to to conform to the peer group. And the three guys said, well, listen, you know, we're not going to do that. And so they were brought to the king, and the king said, do it. Bow down or you burn. And they said, well, king, you're, you, we, we understand what you're saying. But he said, he said, our God who we serve is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, there's no way we're bowing down. We're going to suffer for our faith, even to the point of death. I could just been reading recently articles uh, concerning Christians in Turkey who have been tortured to the point of death rather than compromise their faith in Christ. See, and these guys here, it says, they were promoted as a result of that. So God gave them grace. They were spared. There was a miraculous intervention by the Lord, and they came up. And they were examples for us of people who never compromised and fulfilled their destiny. Joseph's another one, refused to compromise over sexual sin, and he came into his destiny. The Bible's full of this. Um, think of other examples of people who fell because of this. Here's another one then. Here's the number five. Number five. Here's another decision that will impact your destiny or your future. Now, remember, each of these decisions actually have lifelong application and consequences. person who's excellent at the beginning will be excellent right through his life. person who builds character will be a charactered person right through their life. Now, here's another one. Build or pursue uh, vital relationships. If we want to succeed in fulfilling our destiny, we'll never do it alone. Say no to going it alone. Say no to going it alone. We are made for relationships. 
In Proverbs 18 and verse 1, it says, The one who isolates himself is seeking his own agenda. A person who isolates themselves or separates from relationships with other people has got their own plan, their own agenda, and it does not include others. And so I found inevitably when a person isolates himself, they've got something going on inside them that isn't right. Even in a flock, a sheep that isolates itself usually sick. But this is what the Bible tells us in Proverbs 13.20. The person who walks with wise men will become wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. So the people closest to you have a huge impact on where your life goes. The people closest to you have a huge impact on where your life goes. So who are you letting into your heart? Who are you letting into your life? Do you have relationships you're consciously building which are vital? They give you life and they inspire you to come up another level. Now, the ones we feel comfortable with are the ones who are a little lower than us. We feel comfortable with them. There's no challenge there. They think we're wonderful. The ones who are above us or they've got greater character, greater success, greater capacity, greater vision, greater faith, greater prayer life. We feel a little uncomfortable when we're with them because we become aware where we are. But those are the ones that help you come up another level. So every one of us needs to make a decision if we're going to fulfill our destiny. I need others to help me get there. I can't get there alone. This is why you have small, one of the reasons for small groups in the church to have relationships where people know you, they can encourage you, they can stand with you, but particularly so you can be supported to go forward. So vital relationships are absolutely crucial. And that means you've got to pursue them. Now, sometimes that can be difficult. If you had a mentor, some, if you had someone who could coach you to success, give you direction into your life and help you, you would quickly accelerate your growth. So when people coach us or we have a personal coach or someone speaks into your life, what it does, it accelerates the process of change rather than trying to just do it all on your own. Don't be distracted. Just keep focused. Here, let me give you two examples of people. I want to show you two who missed their destiny because they missed vital relationships. The first one is Jonathan. Jonathan, through covenant with David, was destined to be on the throne beside him, but he died in a battlefield next to his father. He missed his destiny because of loyalty to something that was about to pass away. Loyalty to the old. It was what you'd call a misplaced loyalty. Some people are holding on to relationships and connections that long ago should have been let go of. Because they're no longer part of where you are and where you're going. And false loyalty can lock us. I've seen people cover up in their family horrendous abuse because of false loyalty. See, false loyalty means when we violate the word of God and conscience in order to maintain a connection with someone. We need to actually understand the importance of dealing with this issue in our lives, of actually ensuring we're connected where God is moving and with what God is doing. Another example is Demas. Demas was another guy who missed his calling. Demas has found he was a friend of Paul. He was next to the apostle Paul. In fact, Paul, Paul writes... Uh, Paul and Demas and Timothy and the other ones who are here. Then later on he says this. He said, Demas has departed from me having loved this world. So Demas had an apostolic call. He was moving in the supernatural, but when it got hard, he began to think of how easier it would be in the world. And so he left the call of ministry, went back away from that. And the Bible says he, he, he actually left his destiny. He left what he was called to be. What a unique opportunity working next to the Apostle Paul. A bit challenging, but, <laughs> but he left it. He quit. 
He just quit when it got tough. I've seen heaps of people. How many people have seen a Christian quit when it got tough? And if you think about their life, they just never have gone right since then. I think heaps of them. Because they, they disconnected from vital relationships, often because they got offended or needed to change and they didn't change. An example of a person who fulfilled his destiny was Elisha. Elisha remained connected to Elijah and he would not let go and he got something that took him into the future. Here's the last couple, uh, uh, destiny decisions. Uh, the next one is you need to develop a plan. Without a vision, Proverbs 29 tells us, without a vision, we perish. We miss the opportunities in life unless we have some kind of plan in our life. So I encourage you to think about planning. It's a decision to plan. Everything that's going to get you somewhere is going to take a plan. The Bible says the plans of the diligent make a person rich. It says the simple person passes on and he misses opportunities. Every one of us needs to set some kind of goals. Goals are just the plan you have with some steps to get there. No planning financially, your finances will be in a mess. No planning concerning a marriage, your marriage will be in a mess. No planning concerning family, you'll have heaps of kids. <laughs> I can tell you now. <laughs> See? So, but in order for us to go forward, we need to actually plan how we're going to go forward. Let me ask you this. If your finances are going to go forward, what plan do you have in place? If your marriage is going to deepen in intimacy, what plan do you have in place? If your spiritual life is going to improve, what plan do you have in place? If your relationships are going to develop, what plan do you have in place? Young woman, if you're looking for a man, what plan do you have in place to grow yourself as a person? Now, man, if you want to look for some woman, don't look for the woman. What plan have you got in place to grow yourself? That you'd be a great catch. Come on, you think everything in life has got a plan. Even this building was built with a plan. There's nothing constructed eternally that doesn't have a plan in it. God has a plan, and he works it out step by step. So start to plan. If you want your destiny to be fulfilled, you've got to start to make plans that your life will follow a course by vision and not by just circumstance. And finally, the last one is, Cultivate intimacy with God. Probably the most important of all is to cultivate intimacy with God. Proverbs 3, verses 3 to 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, be intimate with God, and he will direct your paths. See? So if we want God to direct our path into our destiny, there has to come a point where you stop trying to lean on your own ability and just trust yourself to walk with God and begin to be intimate with him, opening your heart to him about your plans, the affairs of your life. These are decisions that affect destiny. I have watched people, observed people, and I've noticed that people who have moved forward and made an impact with their life, all of these things are operating in their life. What about your life? What's happening there? Let's just close your eyes for a moment right now. When we cultivate intimacy with God, we're saying no to becoming religious. The Pharisees were religious, never had a destiny, failed altogether. See, David was not religious. David had intimacy with God and fulfilled the will of God. So here's some decisions for us to make. As we think about those decisions, seven decisions, each one of them, you work it out in your life. And as I look at people around me, I see people who have already done that. And you can see their lives going forward. Decision to let go of past offenses. What a great thing. Decision to take responsibility. What a great thing to choose to be responsible for my life and future. Decision to develop character. Decision to pursue excellence. 
Decision to pursue strong, supportive, vital relationships, not be a loner. All of these are vital decisions. Decision that I will build intimacy in my life with God. Vital decisions.